Amen. Aren't you glad he came to you? Boy, if we didn't, we'd never be saved, would we? I know some of us would like to believe we'd have came to him, but it wouldn't have worked that way. We love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. So if he wouldn't have loved us, we'd have been in real trouble. But nonetheless, uh, we are glad, thankful, and grateful to the Lord for his love for us. Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we're going to kind of forego all the summary today. It's been the last, we, we did that last time. We're going to maybe just touch on real quickly, just mention what we talked about the week before, and then we're going to jump right into the new material. But again, what should be my attitude toward my job and my employer? It's a good question. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we've been utilizing it as our theme verse, basically, for the series, and it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Again, we made the emphasis, and we're trying to make clear that well, we've got to always be working on our relationship with men and women. We've got to be, make sure that our relationship is not just about just us and God, but it's about us and His creation as well. And boy, I tell you what, we've got to keep that in mind. And tonight, we're going to have an opportunity to look at that just a little bit from maybe a little bit different perspective. But last week, as we addressed this issue, or was it last week or maybe two weeks ago now, the, the, the weeks just kind of blend together, especially this time of year. They just are a blur to me. I don't know why, but... We asked the question, and we were dealing with basic questions. And we said, well, what if my job conflicts with spiritual matters? And we noted, four, we noted just a couple of things. We said, realize that there may be a periodic conflict of priorities between church activities and your work schedule. And we spent some time addressing that, dealing with that, trying to find balance in that. We said, when you, and number two, when your job responsibilities are contrary to Bible principles, well, then you've you got to draw a line in the sand. And we spent a little time and we noted a couple of things. We said, you know, you better refuse to lie or steal for your employer or violate other clear commandments of God. We also said, guard against temptations on your job. And uh, we didn't spend much time on this, but we ended with, don't be influenced by sinful activities around you. Well, this week we want to ask another basic question then. And here's the basic question. How do I handle persecution on the job? How do I handle persecution on the job? Now, <clears throat> we're going to spend a little time dealing with this tonight. And um, some of it's going to be comfortable and other parts won't be. But I want to share just a couple of things. And I, I, I think that we'll find that um, we, can, we can glean from it and we can grow from it. And it can be helpful. Um, I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we'll move along. Again, nothing major. I mean, don't, get, you know, don't brace yourself for impact or anything. It's going to be okay, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, I think I'm going to approach this from a little different perspective a little than maybe you might think in the onset, but let's go ahead and have that word of prayer and we'll, we'll, we'll get along here well. Father, we, we ask that you'd bless us now and I thank you for this group that's gathered. As we draw closer to Christmas, I know people get more busy and more busy and have so much more to do than ever and it just seems uh, for some to be overwhelming. I think of others that are still healing from surgeries, and Lord, others that are going through difficult times health-wise, or this time of year just seems to compound all of those things. There might be those here tonight even that are struggling with finances, just trying to make ends meet, and here they are facing a time called Christmas where people traditionally buy presents and do things that make them, at this point in their financial position very uncomfortable 
I pray, Lord, that you just help us, at least we in the church, to realize that there are still people that are hurting. There are still people that need encouragement. And that Christmas isn't about presents. It's always about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, may we just be servants to you and may we truly have a servant's heart. Bless this service tonight and may we learn something about persecution on the job. And uh, we'll thank you, we'll praise you in Christ's name, amen. So how do I handle persecution on the job? Well, most persecution in our culture is a result of the Christian's own ignorance or lack of personal commitment to the Lord. Now, you say, wow, that was what I expected right off the bat. I know. But I'm going to say this, and let me break it down. If you're being persecuted at work, it's normally for one of two reasons, okay? And I'm going to give those two to you. Number one, your behavior is improper. Um, and, and you say, wow, that, that is not what I expect to hear right off the bat. Well, I want to fix some things because I'll be honest with you. We live in America, and to be frank with you, I've lived quite a few years now. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I've ever really received any real persecution. I mean real persecution. You know, outside of somebody throwing some things at me maybe or doing something crazy, chasing me down with a broom or something stupid like that. You know, I, I've never had anybody that's, you know, tortured me. I've never had anybody that's thrown me in jail. You know, sure, I've had people, you know, in rare occasions that cuss you down or say things they shouldn't. I get that. But to be frank with you, that, that's, I don't really, I, that, that's just life. But even so, on the job, we have to understand that when things like that even happen to us, we have to evaluate why they're happening. And, and I'm just going to say this. Sometimes I believe that our behavior can be improper. And, and, and I want to start with this, an improper attitude. Now, you know, you and I wouldn't be upset with a pig for wallowing in the slop. Not one of us would have a problem. We'd, 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 we'd understand that. We'd get it. But we're totally impatient and indignant toward those that are unsaved at times. Now, there's a problem with that. Now, what I guess I'm saying is, again, we talk about persecution. I'm just bringing up some things that I want to kind of bring to the forefront. Again, nobody in the room would be upset if they walked outside and saw a pig wallowing around in mud. But we'll go to work and we'll look at the unsaved and we'll, we'll view them, and sometimes if we're not careful, we kind of get a real attitude toward them. We get a little impatient with them. We are indignant even with them. And that can be a problem. Sin should repulse us. There's no doubt about that. It ought to. Honestly, let's be, let's be frank. It doesn't repulse us as much as it ought to today. But it ought to. However... The sinner should warn our pity and compassion. We should be quick to understand the behavior of the lost. Now, I want to look at a couple of verses. Look at Ephesians 2, 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Let's look there very quickly. And we're going to note just a couple of verses here, and then we'll, we'll keep moving along. But again, we're talking about persecution on the job. How do I handle that? Well, I'm just saying from the onset that sometimes persecution isn't just for one reason, it could be another reason. And one of those reasons is, is that our behavior is improper. 
And it could be an improper attitude, maybe an improper attitude toward an employee, an employer or toward the, the other co-workers. And, and we got an attitude and they feel that. They feel that. Now, hold on. I, I want you to get the right perspective from a biblical point of view. Ephesians 2, 3 says, speaking again to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul writes, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. See, what he's saying is, before we even go any further, that all of us were at the same place at one point. We were all there once. And he goes on to say, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were... Thank God it's a past tense, were. Were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were by nature. So what he's saying is our nature was that to fulfill lust, to to feed on the flesh. That was our nature. But I want you to look now at 2 Peter 1, verse 4. And honestly, I think it's important that as believers, we never lose sight of where we came from in that regard. We've got to be careful with this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So in this passage, we have someone here who has what's called the divine nature. And they have escaped the corruption. So here we are back here on this side of the cross. And I mean to tell you, our hearts are wretched and wicked and we're fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And we are... By nature, the children of wrath, the Bible says. But hold on. He says, then something happened and something transformed and changed us. And it was Jesus Christ. And it was that supernatural work that he did in our life as a result of Calvary. And we have what's called the divine nature. And we have escaped corruption. I guess what I want you to realize as we take this little stroll down sound Bible lane is this, is that you and I have to be very careful that we do not expect something unrealistic from these. It's one thing to expect this one to live for Christ. It's another thing to expect this one to act like a Christian when they are fulfilling their nature And I don't understand why it is. And I do believe that sometimes Christians get persecuted at work because they have a wrong attitude toward the lost. They look at them and they are repulsed by that person. How dare you show that junk on your locker? How dare you talk like that in front of me? I can't believe that. You may not say that, but your attitude is felt there. And it's as though you you are so you become almost indignant in their eyes to them. You you become somewhat judgmental. They feel the attitude, and that in and of itself makes them feel judged by you. And then you wonder why they're not friendly. You wonder why they don't 
draw to you or, or, or appeal to you or try to do things that will please you even, and you feel like, wow, because I'm a Christian, they don't like me. Really, you don't like them yet, do you? It's a lot easier to like somebody that likes you. And again, somebody I know, somebody sitting in here all pious, and somebody's thinking, yeah, well, you live like that, you don't Wait, hold on a second. Understand how the Bible works. Understand how Christ feels. Listen, you need to understand, and so do I, the total depravity and helplessness of the lost to overcome sin in their lives. Do you remember what it was like being bound by sin? We should be very understanding of their plight. And we ought to understand that. We ought to be able to get that. It shouldn't surprise us that a pig's wallowing in the muck in the mire. It shouldn't surprise us that our co-workers are, have the desire or have the propensity for cussing and swearing and cheating on their families and doing all those things. We, it shouldn't surprise us. Why are we so surprised? Because we don't understand how different the change has made us. And we, get to, we lose sight of who and what we were. We become arrogant. We become prideful. We become self-centered. We think we're better than them. And we wonder why they don't want anything to do with us. And how come we feel like we're being ostracized and they won't, they won't involve us in things that are going on. And we feel like, wow, I'm being persecuted here. No, you're not. They just don't like you because they know you don't like them. I know that isn't what we want to hear, but listen, I believe we have some wonderful Christian people today, but I'm telling you on the job, if the world, if the people at work don't feel that you like them, they're not going to like you. And listen, you don't have to like what they're doing, but you ought to be, let's just continue, let me help you with this, because it's so important. Instead of expressing disdain and disgust for the person in sin, our greatest effort should be directed toward reaching them for Christ. We ought to realize that if if we feel that way about someone, we probably aren't going to be very anxious to try to rescue them from sin. I can't stand him. He's so sinful. He's so wretched. You know what he's doing to his wife and children? Do you know what she's doing to her kids? Yeah, she's being a sinner. That's her nature. It's her nature. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying understand that she's a sinner. She doesn't have Christ living in her life. Now listen, you want to act like that, there's a problem. And the next time you say to somebody that confronts you because you're living a life that doesn't look like the Christian you ought to be, don't say you're judging me. Say, thank you very much. I needed that. Because I should be better than that because I have the divine nature. But if you don't have the divine nature, why in the world would I ask somebody or expect somebody to live like they have the divine nature when they don't? And they can feel that sometimes. We should seek common ground by which to establish a working relationship with people at work. We should never go out of our way to point out how different we are from them. You shouldn't have to go up to people and go, you know, I'm nothing like you. Boy, that's not a way to earn kudos with the lost and get an open door to witness to them. And if anything, and then you, I don't understand why they don't appreciate me. I'm just helping them see they're sinners. Really? 
Well, good for you. You just lost them. You just taught them that Christians are all just pious and they're, they're just hypocritical and they're this and that and everything else. Be careful with those things. Even when a stand must be taken. And you may have to take a stand and you will probably have to take a stand sometime or somewhere along the line at work, without a doubt. It should be taken with an attitude of humility. That stand ought to be taken with a spirit of consideration and concern and compassion for those around you. It shouldn't be taken in a sense to try to prove to everybody that you're right and they're wrong. Never. It's taken because it is right to take. I'm going to do this, but I want you to know I'm doing this because it's right to do. I have no desire to grind axes. I have no desire to hurt or harm anyone. That's not my my goal. I just know I have to stand where my God stands, and that's where I stand. I'm not against you. I'm for him. Again, we're never to embrace their behavior. But we are to do our best to establish open lines of communication. We may not choose those in sin to be our friends. And you need to be very careful with that one. Because as definition of friends means that you permit someone to influence you. With that definition, I would say you should not have unsaved friends. Some say, that's not my definition of a friend. Well, I'm just saying, if your definition of a friend is anything like mine that I let my friends influence my life. I don't need the influence of sinners that are not regenerated, that do not have Christ living in them, that have the divine nature. However, let me say this, but like Jesus, we can be a friend to sinners, though. I can be their friend. I may not allow them to influence me, but I want the right and the platform to influence them. I want to treat them in a way that they feel comfortable to hear or to be around me even in that sense. I'm not saying they may feel awkward. They may feel at some point that my life stands out as a light in a darkness. Yeah, I get that. That'd be different. But if it's an attitude that they're feeling, a spirit that doesn't promote unity in the sense of trying to bring togetherness here where I can witness and share and tell then I'm saying that maybe, just maybe, the reason why we're being ostracized, the reason why we're being distanced from the rest, the reason we feel we don't fit in and they don't accept us could be because of an improper attitude toward the lost. Misunderstanding, not getting why they are the way they are and understanding that this is natural, it is normal for the lost. So love them where they're at. Accept them where they're at. Help them where they're at. Don't expect them to come to you or to be like you. Boy, that that helps a lot right there. Then another reason we talk about this idea of improper behavior is improper, but what about improper actions? Um, You know, we've got a tremendous example of someone whose lifestyle aligned perfectly with their testimony. Turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel was so consistent in his testimony that his enemies knew they could count on him to respond in a certain way, which gave them the opportunity 
to throw him under the bus. They just knew, we can count on Daniel to do the exact same thing every single day. And therefore, we are going to go to the king and we are going to implement a law that will damn him. That's exactly what they did. Look what happened here. Daniel chapter 6. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, these guys were so confident in Daniel's response that they said to the king, Listen, don't let anybody, we're going to make a decree that no one prays to any other God but you, king. (laughs) Daniel. They knew Daniel's not going to do that, right? I mean, Daniel's, he's got his ritual. He's, got, he's doing the same thing every day. Matter of fact, he goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 10, he went into his house. He knows the writing was signed, but he, he, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did what? A four time. He didn't just do this to stand in opposition to the, uh, to the government. All of a sudden, now I'm going to take a stand. I haven't stood yet, but I'm standing now. I'm tired of you telling us how to live. We're Christians. We'll do what we want. Daniel was already doing what he was supposed to be doing. He didn't do it as a, 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 a protest. He didn't do it as a protest. He had already been doing the right thing. His life has been just lived as Christ would command or as God demanded of him. And so he's doing exactly the same thing every time. And his testimony is so solidified, so sure, so strong, that even his co-workers, those that hated his guts knew, we can get him because he's just that consistent in his testimony and faith. See, when a believer is not completely consistent in their testimony before the world, it makes them, uh, excuse me, it makes taking them seriously impossible. Your coworkers, your boss, they'll never be able to take you serious if you aren't consistent in your Christian life and testimony. They'll never take you serious. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me give you just a couple examples. Or let me just tell you a few things. First of all, don't use your faith to get off work if you haven't maintained a consistent track record of church attendance. I mean, they're going to be like, well, what? Well, I, and, and they're like, you just went off, man. Why don't you just come right out and say it? No, I, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I want to take off work because we're having this big thing down at the church. You don't, you, if you go to church on Sundays, you're lucky, dude. And now you're going to sit there and you pull the Christian card on me? Also, don't act as if you are offended by cursing if you slip from time to time. Every once in a while, you cuss on the job. But they heard it. And then you're like, you know, brothers, uh, you know, guys, uh, you know, I'm a Christian. I'd prefer you didn't cuss or talk like that around me. They're like, you're an idiot. You kidding me? I heard you cuss. Yeah, well, it's been at least a month now. I'm just saying they can't take you serious. Um, and then you go like, oh, why do they treat me like that? It's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you're stupid. Because you're expecting them to treat you like a Christian when you don't act like one. 
And I'm, I'm not saying anybody's doing that. I'm just saying, you know, we're sharing these things because we don't want to end up there. But I bet you every one of us in the room have met somebody like that. It may have even been ourselves at some point in the past, but we've known someone like that, that at work acted like they were this Christian when it was convenient, when it helped them out, benefited them. How about this? Don't be surprised when your coworkers make fun of your faith when they hear you gossiping about other church members, down-talking leadership, or even talking about those you work with. You know that you're you're running your mouth about the boss. You run your mouth about your coworker. You're critical. You're cynical about everything going on at the office. And then you turn around and talk to them about being a Christian, and they're like, "Whatever." That guy's such a hypocrite. He's the worst. He's supposed to be a Christian, and he talks about everybody. So let me kind of close that portion up by saying this. In some cases, believers aren't being persecuted for their pristine faith, but for their spotted testimony. The believer who is inconsistent in their attitude and actions at work, but still demand their religious rights, they're viewed as a joke by their boss and coworkers. I mean, we've got to at least be honest with ourselves. You can't be inconsistent with your testimony and expect other people to take you seriously. So we're talking about, as we, we address this issue, we're, we're saying, okay, let's, let's ask some basic questions. And today we said, well, how do I handle persecution? And the first thing I did is I kind of opened up and said, now, wait a second. There's a couple reasons for this. Number one, we said, because your behavior is improper. And we said it could be improper attitude. It could be, an improper, it could be improper actions. But now here's the other reason. Because your proper testimony is an offense to someone. Because you are living the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived. Now, I want to, I just, listen, I, I want to warn you, and I just want to say this. Do not ask yourself if you are a good testimony at work. You need to ask people that will be honest enough to tell you the truth. You, you may even have to ask your spouse. But they probably wouldn't have the guts to tell you the truth either because they don't want to have to live with that. Because if you're really, if you're not the Christian you're supposed to be, then you probably don't have the right attitude toward them either. So they might just lie and say, sure. Yeah. 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 And if they do that, you know there's a problem, okay? <laughs> I am not even sharing that. But anyway, your proper testimony is offense. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, I hope this is the reason if we ever are persecuted or if we ever feel slighted or if we ever feel like people are kind of distancing themselves from us at work, we don't feel like we fit in, I hope this is the reason for it. And I would imagine it is at least with these that are gathered. I, I trust it is. Now, I can't say that for sure because I'm not a fly on the wall. But, I mean, you're here at least. You, you've made an effort to grow in Christ, and it seems to me that your relationship with the Lord is serious to you. Praise God for that. 
But even the best intentions sometimes can get mixed up from time to time, so I think it's important that we're reminded of these things. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, Have a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you. Now, can I ask you a question about the conscience for a minute? Is there, you ever known somebody that's lost, that has no problem doing something that you would say offends God, biblically is very clearly offensive to God, clearly offensive even to you now that you're a believer, or, or to society even? And they're just like, I don't have a problem with it. My conscience is clear, man. You ever met somebody like that? And you're thinking, how can your conscience be clear? That's so wicked. How's that possible? Did you know that you still have a conscience? And that if you aren't saturating your life in the word of God, that your conscience can be seared? That you can honestly say, I'm right with God when you're living in sin. You know that? You, you know what I believe? I believe even as a Sunday school teacher, as a pastor, as a Christian for a number of years, I believe we can get to the place where we can excuse our sin in certain areas so often that we become seared in our conscience in that area. And we can justify our sin even. So all I want you to understand is Make sure that you're being very open and honest with yourself. Make sure that you're, maybe even if you've got someone you trust to be honest and truthful with you, that you know would be sincere and they aren't, maybe they're, if in your mind, a step beyond you in their Christian growth. That might be a good person to talk to about these issues if you're concerned about how you're viewed. First Peter says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. We know the word conversation can refer to your speaking, but it also has to do with your lifestyle. And so it goes on, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. He said, boy, God's much more, he's much more pleased with you if you're suffering for doing right than doing wrong. And, and the passage here is basically saying that, you know what? If, if you're living the Christian life, and I trust you are, I, I, I tried to do that myself, and, and others don't get it, and because of your, your proper testimony of Christ and your proper stand on the Word of God, people feel convicted or people have difficulty dealing with that, they may even accuse you of being pious. They may accuse you of being self-righteous. They may say you think you're better than them and you really are doing your very best not to have an attitude toward them, but to love and embrace them and be considerate of them, understanding that they are just sinners and they have a, a nature that is destructive and sinful. But if that's the case, make sure that that conscience in that sense is clear, that you can honestly say, Hey, listen, I can honestly say I have done nothing, nothing biblically to offend them, unscripturally to offend them. I honestly have tried to live my life according to the word, and I have been successful at this. I have not lied. I've not cheated. I've not gossiped. I've not, uh, uh, you know, 
done anything amiss or I've, I've not been using my tongue improperly. I've not been using my body improperly. I've been living my life the way I should before my coworkers. But they just seem like, they just keep on me. Well, that's the way it ought to be, if that's the case. I've, the stereotypical view of a dedicated Bible believer has been shaped by Hollywood and the media. Believers have been pictured as being nerdish and completely out of touch with the real world or those who have abandoned, they kind of viewed as those that have abandoned moderation in all things for an unbalanced fanaticism. You know, if you're, you're really a dedicated Christian, then you've got to be a fanatic, right? I mean, that's what Hollywood says. I mean, you're probably, you know, disciplining your children by throwing a Bible in a closet and locking your kids in there, telling them to read the New Testament before you let them out. That's the mentality, that's the kind of image that we've painted about these fanatical believers. They're crazy. They're out of their mind. And we are crazy and out of our mind in some respects, I get that. We certainly are in our right minds, we're in the mind of Christ. We ought to have the mind of Christ. But the fact is that we shouldn't be out of our minds either, in that sense. Now, again, none of those things is really the norm, but the damage has kind of been done. Now, I'm going to kind of digress here and say a few things, but as a result, a number of Christians, especially young people, it seems, and and adults alike today, really, but especially the young, they work very hard trying to dispel this unfair stereotype by adopting the world's trends in clothing and accessories, by embracing the world's music and doing their very best, best to fit into a culture that has abandoned God. They do that because the stereotype. They don't want to be seen or known like that, so they're going to go ahead and push the envelope a little bit. They're going to kind of, kind of sneak from this side, divine nature, and kind of try to appear and look a little more like this so they fit in a little more with them. You say, why would they do that? Well, I'm not saying that the, 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 the motive is wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that it's somewhat of a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, why in the world would a young lady want to wear a dress if everybody else is wearing pants? Why in the world would a young man want to stay clean and, until he's married if everybody else isn't? I mean, wh- what's going on here? Wh- wh- why would this person want to look a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way if it's going to isolate them and cause them to be separated from this, the majority? Especially if their heart and their desires to what? Win them. So I'm not going to question the motives. But here's my problem, and here's what's going on, it seems, sometimes. Folks have had a tendency to gravitate toward modern trends, cultural fads, toward Hollywood even, to to understand the world, if you will, to adopt the worldly ways. And they say it, they, they do that, and they'll say, well, see, you can be a Christian and still be normal. See, you can still be cool, and you can still be relevant as a believer. See, look at me. I'm cool. I talk like the world. I look like the world. I act like the world. So therefore, I'm relevant. See, I don't want to push them away, preacher. I want to draw them in. That's not how it works, though. 
That's not how it works. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22, and we understand, why wouldn't folks think that? Paul himself, right, doesn't he encourage this? He says, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Isn't Paul saying, basically, that, well, when you're in Rome, act like the Romans. <laughs> when you're in Ephesus, act like the Ephesians. And that's not really what he's getting at. He's not talking about compromising biblical truth, biblical moral commands. He's not talking about disregarding what the Bible talks about in the book of Corinthians as separation, coming out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. But although this may be a lame excuse for embracing the world and its practices, I'm going to tell you something, it is a reason, and it is one that offers a valid justification in some people's eyes. And young people, I don't want you to fall into the trap of feeling like you need to fit in with the unregenerate. You need to be willing to be persecuted living for Christ. You need to be willing to be different, so different and unique that if that's what causes persecution, then I'm willing to be persecuted because I'm not going to try to be like them so that I can fit in and win them to Christ. You don't win people to Christ by being like them. You win them by showing them there's a difference. And that's true with adults today, too. Believers should never go, and I'm almost done, but believers should never go out of their way to be different in a weird way, either. You really shouldn't go out of your way to be different in a weird way. I mean, eccentric and strange are not the goal of the true child of God. Honestly. I mean, you know, we understand that that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is politically incorrect today. But let me tell you something. Put old Rudolph's nose on, walk around town, and see who gets the glory. See who gets the attention. It ain't going to be Jesus. You'll have people stopping you on the road and saying, you know, maybe we can take you to a place called a hospital. You could probably get a little help there. That's not what we're looking for in Christianity. That's not the intention of Christians to go out of our way to be weird, unusual, strange. Because, see, in the end, it should never be our intention to distract, away, or distract attention away from Christ. Therefore, we've got to be careful that nothing we wear, nothing we say, nothing we do is for the purpose of directing attention toward us. Nothing. At all. We should want to blend in in a sense. Shouldn't just want to be strange to be strange. But then again, we can't adopt worldly trends and the things that identify and mark the world. You got to be careful with those things. So even when you're doing your very best, say you're doing all the right things and you possess the right attitude, you can be mischaracterized. You can be misunderstood. Our greatest effort can draw the fire of those whose outlook and perspective are contrary to the Bible. That's all there is to it. You're not going to get away from this persecution. The Bible says that all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
And you're going to if you live according to the word of God, if you truly put on the mantle, if you really live like Jesus said. You will find that there'll be some that cannot tolerate you, can't stand you, maybe despise you. That's possible. I don't have the time to go through it all, but let me just skim it. I was going to turn to all the passages, but if you take the early church and you say, hey, why were Christians in the early church persecuted according to the Bible? What what were they persecuted for? Well, right off the bat, you see Peter and John. They're teaching the people. They're preaching through Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead. You want to know why they were persecuted? They were opening their mouths for Jesus. Matter of fact, in four, chapter 4, verse 20, the Bible says they shared the things that they had seen and heard. They had experienced some things that the Lord Jesus had done, and they were sharing them with other people. They're saying, man, you should have seen what, what he did over here. You should have seen what he did in my life. You should see what he did in his life, her life. And people were like, shut up. I'm sick and tired of hearing about that stuff. I know, shut up's a bad word. Acts chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. The apostles were busy doing good by healing and helping people. They were giving their lives to meet the needs of others. Chapter 5, verse 27 through 33, we could take the time to read that. It's really a tremendous passage, but the apostles would not compromise their beliefs. I mean, the, the, the religious leaders gathered them together and they Did not we tell you, did not we tell you not to preach that Jesus and his resurrection? Didn't we do that? Are you kidding me? You're still doing it? (laughs) But we ought to obey God rather than men. I mean, they kindly and respectfully held their ground and presented their message. Why are we being persecuted if we are? i got to believe that a lot of that stuff ought to be falling right in the range of that early church. And if we're not being persecuted to some degree, <laughs> maybe it's because we're not opening our mouth. We're not sharing what Christ has done. We're not trying to really help people like we ought to be. And we're not taking a stand and doing it with a kind heart, respectfully and kindly. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. The world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant's not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Expect a certain amount of adversity from the world if you're really serving Jesus. Expect it. And then learn how to commit that persecution to the Lord. The Bible tells us that Jesus committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Accept the persecution for what it is. An attack on him. And commit it back to him and say, Lord, I don't want this. I may not appreciate it. I Certainly it's not comfortable, but Lord... If you've put it on my shoulders, I'll carry it. But I'm going to have to commit it to you because I can't carry it myself. You have to carry it for me. So take it patiently. Remember Christ as our example. 
Don't sin by responding inappropriately and follow James chapter 1, verse 19. And finally, commit yourself and the situation to a righteous God. Well, just some thoughts about being persecuted on the job. And God help us to be the believers we ought to be and to be persecuted, and we will be, if we live our lives for Christ, for the right reasons. Not the wrong ones, the right ones. And boy, I'll tell you what, in eternity, it'll pay huge dividends. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. Bless us now, Lord. We're going to take just a moment, Lord, for a time of invitation. I know we're running a little late tonight, Lord, but you, you're right on time. Help us, Lord, just to take a moment and really look at our lives and consider our personal testimonies amongst even our families, our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, may we be honest with ourselves and make sure that our lives are aligning themselves with you and your word as they ought. Help us to be the believer, the testimony we ought to be. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all